Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Peter Cross from The Royalty Report, and welcome back to our Extended Cut series. On this episode, we sat down with Alex Cram from Netflix while she takes on our trademark-themed Serial Gauntlet. Alex has been crushing the brand licensing and collaboration game for a while now, and she's been a part of so many great projects and programs that there was just no way that we could fit everything into a 25-minute episode. But guess what? We're leaving everything on the table now. So here you go. The full, uncut, extended interview with Alex Cram from Netflix. What's going on, everybody? From Broad Street Licensing Group, I'm Peter Cross. And I'm Trevor Graham. And you're watching The Royalty Report, the show that puts brand licensing into the spotlight. And today, we're joined by Alex Cram. She's a highly accomplished and decorated professional for licensing and collaborations and has been recognized by License Global as one of their top 40 under 40. Her work includes many diverse and groundbreaking projects for companies including Nickelodeon, Warner Music Group, and her own branding and marketing agency, Cram Collective. You can catch her now working on retail and marketing programs at Netflix. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you, too kind. <laughs> so do you know how the show works? I think so, I see food in front of me. Yeah, so we'll be taking you through this serial gauntlet Going from left to right, we'll be asking you questions and tasting these trademark-themed cereals. So the very first question I have to ask you is, what's your goat or all-time favorite cereal? Mm, I like Frosted Mini Wheats. Frosted okay. Mini I thought you were going to say, like, just plain Cheerios. No. <laughs> well, I mean, I eat nowadays, I eat, like, this, like, you know, healthy cereal. Like the cashew stuff. With, like, like blueberries yeah. and granola. Raisin bran. Whole grains in there. But, like, if I got to go sweet, I like Cocoa Krispies. Okay. Very good. My good. Like if I want like nostalgia, I go Cocoa Krispies, Frosted Mini Wheats. All right. Nice. So this first cereal should hit that spot a little bit. Okay. We're gonna start off with the Wendy's Frosty Chocolatey cereal. Oh boy. <laughs> good packaging. It's really solid. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that Wendy's went ahead and did this, but I think it's really great. Yeah, I'm a sucker for packaging, so mm -hmm. that screams Wendy's for you. Right. Got their their blues and their reds. What's your cereal style? Do you like to, I like, to ask you the same keep thing. it in the the milk for a little bit, get it a little soggy, or do you like to eat it sort of right away? I kind of like a mix. Yeah. Like I like I like to have it nice and coated. Mm -hmm. Yes, very true. But I like the crunch still when it's too soggy and it inflates. It's just kind of mush. Mm. All right, this is a, a little bit of a layup cereal. So survey says. I like it. It's like Cocoa Puffs. Remember that? Mm-hmm. It's like not overly sweet. I can't do overly sweet. Mm-mm. It's got a nice chocolate flavor. Look at me. It's cereal connoisseur. If you're thinking about how it compares, like, I don't know when the last time, I can't tell you the last time I've had a Wendy's Frosty, but if you can remember mm. to the last time you've had one, how do you reckon it stacks up? I guess you could, yeah, Okay. I had to look at the image to like kind of <laughs> remember refresh the memory, but that in college was like our go-to like hangover cure. Frosties. You go to Wendy's the next morning, get a big ice cold frosty, and have that. So Wendy's was your go-to. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in your thoughts on the like working with some of the toughest critics in licensed collaborations, specifically sneakerheads. Mm. I think there's a lot of really great and awesome collaborations out there that really excite fans. But then I also feel like on the flip side, when something is really popular, a lot of brands start to do this like me too thing, where 
they want to do the same thing and it just starts to feel unoriginal. So I'm wondering if you could give us some advice on what the foundation is for collaborations in order to have even the toughest critics feel like it's an awesome product. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna use a word that's probably been played and said to death, but authenticity is everything Mm. and on both sides. So authenticity on the brand side, as well as on the audience or consumer side, customer side that you're trying to kind of reach. So like, if you're putting out a skate shoe, for example, which is what we did with Grateful Dead and Nike, it was the SB. Like, it's got to function and be, like, the proper SB skate shoe and not just something that's a flash in the pan because it's cool. Let's layer in and throw dead imagery on it. Like, Mm -hmm. let's kind of imbue the essence of the dead into what's a tried-and-true format to kind of appeal to both audiences Uh and bring them together. So I think authenticity is everything. That's right. I'm sure there's a lot of cross-pollination, too, there in the skateboard community and the Grateful Dead community. Yeah. I don't see that being a huge reach, eh? Yeah, I think think it it wasn't a huge reach, but if you look at the Dead, it was kind of previously known as, like, Uh hippy-dippy kind of culture, at least to my generation that, like, went up, kind of grew up going to those shows. Uh And so to kind of reach the younger consumer, it's like, how do you bring this to a new audience and Mm -hmm. introduce not just like the culture, but the music as well. And that was what was so great about the Nike campaign was we used the music. It was international, it was global. So we were bringing it to Japan. We were partnering with skaters. We were doing things at skate parks. We had a little stash pocket in the tongue of the shoe. It brought in the bears. So it was a fuzzy like (laughs) bear type shoe. It wasn't just like shoe leather or anything. That's so cool. So it was the color of the dead bears. It had all these, like, secret surprises in it. Um, but, yeah, so it wasn't a stretch, but you still had to kind of finesse sure. it to make it, yeah. make it right. Did you get to meet any cool, like, pro skaters from all that? Were any of them endorsing the shoe? I didn't. Uh-huh. Um, I was kind of more behind the scenes. I did go out to Portland and meet with, like, the Nike SB team, which was kind of cool. cool just being in that space and those offices and seeing all the people that they worked with. Hell, yeah. And then just kind of overseeing the campaign. Um I would have loved to have gone to Tokyo, which is where the main like activations took place with a lot of the skaters and the and the dudes that designed the shoe were skaters themselves. Oh, so, sick! Yeah, perfect. Like that's go back to authenticity. That's everything, right? So, how much were you like involved with the design process? Was that something that was taken in by the brand itself, or did you get to have like your own hand? Yeah, in on I mean, that I design? think. I'm a proxy to the band, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to do what's in best interest of the band. So we work really closely with the band's archivists and the band themselves and kind of had them bless it. And then John Mayer, who's the front man of the band right now, or the new iteration of the band, is Mm -hmm. a huge and massive sneakerhead. So there had to be some, like, stamp of approval there. And and Nike had relationships with him because they see him all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a little bit of... It's in their court. They're the experts as the sneaker designers, and then they're the experts of the band in terms of knowing their audience. We're just there to kind of help shepherd and usher. But yeah, like, could I say that's, I like this color yellow better, or this orange hits better, and yeah. kind of is more of the dead theme. That's, that was kind of the feedback and input I got to put into the process. Rad. Ready for the next one? Yeah. All right. So, 
Uh, I think this next one's going to hit a little closer to home for you. Yeah, flashbacks. Yes, <laughs> for your time working in Nickelodeon. This is the Nickelodeon <laughs> slime. Mm-hmm. So we want to get your reactions, seeing that you've worked there and uh, whether or not this is a good cereal for you. Well, again, the packaging is very slime packaging. <laughs> Turn your milk green. So I think this may have to sit in the milk just a little bit to activate that, right. that slime. Got to activate your slime powers. Well, that's what I'm really curious about here. So if we wait for a second to let the, the green sort of mesh into marinate. the milk, I thought we could ask a question yeah. and, and get through it. So what I wanted to do as a game, seeing that you've worked there, is read off quickfire some of the shows from Nickelodeon, and you say whether or not they are overrated or underrated. So subjective. Yeah, right? All right, let's We're going to learn a lot about your opinions here, I guess. Yeah. All right, so the first one, shows. Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, I think that delivers on the hype. Hell yeah. Really oh, good show. Can't really go overrated or underrated no. on that one. That's like right in the middle. It's like, it you know, it mark. delivers. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. That the Amanda show? Um, You know, for any tween girl that that also delivers. I'm not playing this game right, am I? It's no, like, it's I perfect. It's great. Overrated. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was I mean, Amanda Bynes, right? It yeah. was Amanda yeah. Bynes. She was like a tween icon at yeah. the time. So if you were that tween girl, you were hitting right on that demo and it was like perfect like sitcom television. Uh, I used to watch that a bunch. Wasn't that a spinoff though of all that? Like wasn't she in all that character? She, yeah, first? she had like it was like a improv kind yeah. of variety yeah segment on that and then they spun that off to their own show so that's a good segue my next overrated underrated all that i loved all that (laughs) yeah i loved all that because i i thought it was really smart that they brought that to a kid audience because i loved mad tv Mm -hmm. and in living color like in living Mm -hmm. color was my jam and all that was like let's bring it down to that you know young audience yeah all that and the other one is mmc Personal favorite. Okay. Mickey Mouse Club, yeah. the re- reinvented version. That was like <laughs> total personal. So the next one on the cartoon state is the Ren and Stimpy show. I was literally, I hope you had that on there. <laughs> <laughs> Cult classic. There you go. Cult classic. It wasn't, I loved it. It was a little too insane for me personally. Oh, it's bonkers. Yeah, it's bonkers. Anytime they do like a close up, like Ren wakes up, he's got like the haggard five o'clock shadow, bloodshot eyes, like crusties all over the place. You know, looking back at that, like today, yeah. if they tried to air Ren and Stimpy for like kids on Nickelodeon, oh, yeah. I don't think that shit would fly. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different flavor. Oh, absolutely. For today's like, I'm world. stoked. I grew up on it though. Yeah, I could for not sure. be more happy. But I mean, I come from me and my dad used to watch like Beavis and Butthead like, oh, yeah, on the regular. So same it was, like, Beavis and Butthead. That was exactly what I was into. Yeah, they all play in the same space. Yeah, Pinky and the Brain, like oh, more genius. like I love chill them. version of. Those two. So, funny fact about them. That was actually... Did you know that Pinky and the Brain was designed after two people from the Warner Brothers studio? Dude, I just saw that on Instagram. Yeah, right? And I was like, oh, and it made me, like, want to actually read the whole caption. Yeah, even the pictures of them, like, I dug further into it. Like, the pictures of the two guys, it's like, literally, they just took those two people and shrunk them down into mouth size. Yeah, I think what I read was that the guy was like... Actually, having worked on the show, or someone commented, he was like, I, I worked on this show as well, and it was more based on their character and personality yeah. than even their looks, but their looks were, like, <laughs> yeah. completely translating into the characters. Right, it's like when dog owners look like their dogs. 100%. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> Love that. Or pets in general. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so the last one, it can be a little controversial. Some people think it's the greatest of all time show. Some people think it was really awful after the creator left, and that's SpongeBob SquarePants. I knew you were going to say that. I think I was too close to it. So, like, I was already working at Nickelodeon when SpongeBob just, like, started to come out on air. So I was a little bit older than the demographic, even though we know that it, like, resonated with the older crowd. Um, and, you know, when you work on something, it's hard to, like, it's hard to be a fan. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Or, if, like, you're a fan of this I, cereal yeah. and then you work on it every day. You're just like, I can't deal. You like, see, like, the ins and outs, the behind the scenes. Yeah. And, and it sort of jades so your... I can't listen to any of my own music. Yeah, like, it's like right. I'll, I'll record direct and like, cool, that's done. It's like, similar. It's I don't similar. have to do it again. It's like, similar. You just get too close to these things. But I will say SpongeBob was awesome to work on, especially at that time, which I'm was sure. in its infancy in the consumer product space, where I think the runaway hit item was a pair of licensed panties at Hot Topic. And people were like, <laughs> what? No one thought SpongeBob was going to be a hit. They're like a sponge under the sea who looks like a block of cheese. Like it's not going <laughs> to yeah. happen in the consumer product space because it, it had it like it, if you looked at what was popular at that time, like it wasn't comparable by a stretch. So for this to come on the scene and just break all these like hits was insane. Yeah. And yeah. Hillenburg was great. The creator. Yeah, sure. I mean, he was, he cared about the work yeah. and the art and the creative creativity, and he cared about the character, and he was, like, talk about authentic. Like, he was this surfer marine biologist yeah. dude. It was his world. It wasn't about the money, and it was it was amazing to be witness to. That's rad. I think it's had enough time to... It's a little green. Soggy. <laughs> So I, think, I think SpongeBob kind of bridged the gap between the like the lunacy of Ren and Stimpy yes. and some of the more modern stuff that came out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably why it hit that sweet spot of like the younger crowd and the older totally. crowd. Totally. I mean, it had all the inside jokes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's so much stuff. Like I'll watch old episodes. I'm like, I've seen this a million times. I never caught that joke. You know what it is? I think for me, with Ren and Stimpy and SpongeBob both, they were just too loud. For me, like I liked more chill viewing. Like I liked Doug. Oh, I love Doug. Yeah, Doug yeah. was chill. Who was this girl, pa- uh, Patty Mayonnaise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that show. Nickelodeon was always on at my house. Hey Arnold, chill. Mm-hmm. Helga Pataki. There's a lot of really great shows that were left off the list, but right. I think if we oh, went, yeah. we could probably do a whole episode. We just that's just like. Them all <laughs> You can't do that on television is what got me into Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah? Place. I don't know if you remember that one. A very, I'm maybe very dating young. myself at that point. <laughs> That's where Alanis Morissette got her start. Mm. It's also where slime kind of became iconic to Nickelodeon. So if you said, I don't know, slime, slime. came pouring down. Oh, my God. That was that is, the Kids' Choice Awards so and genius. stuff? Huh? That was a Kids' Choice Awards? No, so you can't do that on television. Oh. That's where it, like... I mean, I I think that's where it got its start because that was like way back in the day. Mm-hmm. You said I didn't know, I don't know, as a guest or whatever, you got slimed. I'm sure it was one of those things where you get slimed and they're like, oh, this is really doing well with ratings. Yeah. So like, let's implement it somewhere else, and then it took a life of its own. Oh, totally. I remember when we were trying to introduce slime as an IP of its own. Actually, 
Um, oh, you mean when they used to sell it in like the yeah. the GAC thing? Yeah, GAC, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. So fun to work on. <laughs> so thoughts on the Nickelodeon cereal? Yeah, I mean, I see the green now. That's kind of cool. I think, you know, any kid would be like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's not too sweet. It's a little soggy for me now by the time that it gets green. Mm-hmm. But if you like bright colors mm-hmm. and sugar, that's, that's the way to go. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right, we're ready. Flavor, the flavor, too, I think is just... It's literally just Apple Jacks. The only difference is the green slime. Yeah, yeah. I haven't had Apple Jacks in ages to right? know. Well, I had it last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going away from it anytime soon. <laughs> the novelty is cool, though. It's very brand right. Right. <laughs> All right, are we ready for the third one? Yeah, let's awesome. do it. Awesome. So this no. is a new-ish one. Yeah. It's been here before, but it's new to the show. Okay. The Kellogg's Cinnabon Bakery-inspired cereal. Clean packaging, mm-hmm. like their Cinnabon boxes, right. which I like. Very bond bites, point. free bond bites. What's a bond bite? We are going to find out right now. I reckon they're those little tiny ones. Right. We'll send you back with a box, and you can send, <laughs> go to yeah. Cinnabon. I would like a bond bite, please. Your I mean, that was like that was the bite. biggest thing about eating cereal, at least like for me growing up in the eighties as like a the kid, toys. was the stuff inside yeah. and the back of the box, like. Yeah. Because it's not outside of Saturday mornings, there weren't no cartoons, like, yeah. unless you recorded it on VHS. And so that was your entertainment. Yeah. The puzzle or the, like, maze that you did on the back. You're telling me you never turned on, like, TBS and watched all the Steven Seagal movies that they'd have on, I like, all, all day? <laughs> yeah, me too. All of them. It's so funny, as he got older and more and more into directing, like, he just got lazier and worse. And I love great, Steven And I Seagal. love it. Oh, me and too. And Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, 100%. Bloodsport, all that. It's because that's best. what aired yeah, on TV. So it was yeah. like, that's all. Yeah. And I think about that now, and I'm like, man, kids have all the options. Like, my own kids right now. Like, you could just turn on Nickelodeon or Disney Not even, or, just like. Google something. Like, <laughs> or Google something, is. and it's just 24-7 entertainment for these kids. And I'm like, man, I had mm-hmm. to wait to Saturday morning with the VCR mm-hmm. to hit record so that I had shows to watch for the Stop rest of the week. Stop it in between the commercials. Like. Or the having to wake up early during a weekday mm-hmm. to catch an early morning show right. rather yeah. than maybe coming back and watching it on an iPad or on Apple Plus or something like that. It's mm-hmm. totally different. I mean, God. we had to be bored. I also, like, watch things like Married with Children. And oh, yeah. we I've got, like, the box set back at home. I love that show. <laughs> yeah, you did. What was this band called? It was No Ma'am or something? The mm-hmm. band, that he, band that he started with some of his coworkers? It was the No Ma'am, and then it was the, oh, the symbol for female with the extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've had this really awesome perspective working sort of behind the scenes in music when you're at Warner Music Group. Where you got to actually attend a lot of different shows and really get to see both through the collaborations and being at the shows to witness them uh, what their passionate fans would react to when they saw their favorite artists. And within that, you get these subgroups, too, like the uh, Taylor Swift Swifties, the Juggalos from Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> woo, woo. <laughs> I'm curious to know, in your experience, which artist fan base do you find to be the most unbearable? Mm. And why is it Juggalos? <laughs> <laughs> I think they get a bad rap, honestly. I didn't have mm. to work with them, mm. so. It's so hard. I think in general, 
when a fandom gets so rabid that they get culty, it's like really scary to me. <laughs> and I think you could say that there's that crossover point with almost any one of those artists that you mentioned or any other artists like like the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but there's so, Deadheads are like well, I was, they're all just burnt out. <laughs> they're like pretty chill. Yeah, they're pretty chill. But like, there are some fans. That will like voraciously defend their artists to the point of rage mm-hmm. and like hate and anger. And it's like, dude, like that is not your life. Like chill out. And that's what becomes unbearable to me. And mm-hmm. social media has just proliferated oh that like tenfold. Because mm-hmm. actually like having worked with artists, like as fans, you don't think that artists are like reading the captions and the comments. Like you think, oh, she'll never see my comment. And that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Like I've worked with a number of artists that get deeply affected by the comments on Twitter and Instagram by their fans. It could be one negative comment out of like a thousand positives, but it hits them and it hits them to their core because at the end of the day, they are they are artists. They are emotional. They are yeah. sensitive. <laughs> you play music. Yeah. You know, and that criticism is really tough to take. And I just feel for them in mm-hmm. that instance. It's also really hard to get any business done when they're in that headspace. Yeah, right. So speaking of music too, uh, NFTs used to be like, not used to, but very recently had like a super huge craze in 2021. Mm -hmm. And I think now it's starting to come back down to earth. But you had this unique opportunity to work on the very first officially licensed music NFT with Muse and CryptoKitties, which I think is really awesome. But you also, I think, have gotten into the NFT game yourself. And have bought an NFT called uh, Emo Elephant, and wondered if you could give us some background on why you went and bought that NFT. That's the crybaby Melody Martinez one. Yep. Yeah. So NFTs. Like crybaby like, the movie. Huh? Like crybaby. No, the movie? but side note, crybaby the movie is like one of my favorite movies ever. Really? Even though like it probably would not be able to be released today. I love Johnny Depp in that movie. We have not one but two copies of that on DVD. Negative opinion, but I love that movie. I love every song. No, it's great. Iggy Pop with short hair. So good. Anyway, side note. Sorry. We love a good side note. Ratchet. I mean, all Hatchet Face. It's great. All of it. I love it. Um, what was I talking about? We were talking. We were talking about the emo elephant. I totally digress. I had visions of like Crybaby come back. I'm like that. I want to watch that movie again now. Um, So NFTs, like crazy, crazy roller coaster ride. But like you said, we got into it early. It was an area of real interest for me because throughout my career, it's always been like, what's the next cool, interesting thing to like throw at the wall and see if it sticks and like take a risk with. And Web3, Metaverse, NFT, whatever you want to call it, was kind of that space. And Muse was really into like, I mean, if you know the band and kind of seeing their imagery Mm -hmm. and their creative aesthetic, it's always about pushing boundaries and kind of living in like Tron world with this latest album. And CryptoKitties was the biggest kind of metaverse, whatever you want to call it, game out there, um, collectibles. And to partner those two was amazing. But I will say internally, everyone was like, what is this? How are we getting paid in cryptocurrency? What does this mean? How do we do a deal? So it's really interesting to be on that side of it before things like really blew up and it became like a household conversation in the industry of people trying to go after it. That being said, Melanie Martinez launched her line of NFTs. 
And if you know anything about Lenny Martinez as an artist, she is so thoughtful about anything that she does. And having worked with her over the years, that's what I really loved about her. Mm-hmm. It could drive people crazy, <laughs> but she had a very clear vision of who she is and what her artist brand stands for and what her fans want. And so she was careful not to just like throw caution to the wind in this space. And she created these like really unique, beautiful NFT collection. That's very much an extension of her brand. Mm. And as a fan, because I had left Warner at this point, I, I think, or I was I was about to leave. I was like, I'm going to support her. And I bought the email elephant because it's super cute. <laughs> and her fan base is crazy. And I do think they're going to be worth something <laughs> one day. And in fact, her perfume that we worked on. I don't know, five years ago at this point, is now on eBay for like a thousand bucks. Wow. Someone just told me that yesterday, shockingly. So, how much know. did it retail for at the 50 time? 50 bucks. Wow. That's, that's oh, an incredible wow. jump. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine texted it, a picture of it to me, a screenshot of the eBay prices, and was like, I think I, I, think I, I need to sell mine. Yeah. All right. So, we're going to throw you a curveball here. Yeah. We have a mystery cereal right in the middle here. Mm. So, Trevor, it's behind all these series. Why don't you pull it out and show our main camera we've got? So, we're going to be throwing in a Cinefuego oh. Toast Crunch. Now, admittingly, this isn't a trademark <laughs> themed <laughs> one, but I wanted to see what your reaction was to this limited edition cereal. So, okay. let's go ahead, pour the milk in, and give it a shot. Looking at it, I was like, this is either Cinnamon Toast Crunch or Golden Grand. Oh, this is this one. But, all right. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Dude, I'm like Fuego. excited, scared. Like, I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It's one of my favorite cereals. Like, is it going to be like red hot flavored That's cinnamon? That's what I'm right? Oh, you can smell it. You smell it? No, not yet. Kind of smells like big red chewing gum. Yeah, it's like they just added more cinnamon. I'm on board with that. Cinnamon is one of my favorite flavors. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like a fireball. Not it's the alcohol, but like a, candy. a hard candy. Yeah. Woo, yeah, I feel that now. Verdict's still out on this one. It kind of just you see it has like red spots on mm-hmm. it too. So it is it's like if you stuck a whole like that's the extra cayenne pepper we put on. Pack there. of big red chewing gum or one of those fireballs and milk. Dude, yeah, really. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. It's too much. It is. Like, I'm a fan of cinnamon, but I don't know about that much cinnamon. I'm not mad at it. Like, I, I appreciate the effort. But even those fireball candies back in the day, I used to have oh, to, like, so take good. breaks. Oh, really? From just to let my mouth cool off. And this has, like, that creeps up on you in the back. Yeah. Oh. The fireballs, know. I used to just pop them one after the other until Did your you? tongue got, like, all dried out and, like, Whoa. white and shit. Oh, I loved it. Big Red was my favorite chewing gum. But this is... No, no. It's a bit much for <clears throat> cereal. <laughs> Save this great knack Ooh. for putting... <laughs> Hit you in the back? Yeah, it was back in my throat real weird. Was oh, it the spice or... Mm-hmm. It just kind of numbs your taste buds a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, rest of the cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Save this great knack for putting great programs together. And it seems to me that this passion of yours goes way back before your professional days, all the way to when you're at the Holton Arms School in Bethesda, oh my Maryland. Whoa, you're deep. <laughs> where you and a friend, Shyla Jones, in the back of a school bus came up with this fashion show for the school called Punch. And it's actually been able to sustain itself for over 20 years. I wonder if you could give us insight 
on how it's been able to continue after all this time. You're good. That was a total curveball. <laughs> um, yes, that was like my baby. Me and Shayla, the back of the bus. We used to ride the bus together. And Holton was a great all-girls school. Very academically rigorous. But when it came to the arts, like, you know, it could use a little, like, punch here and there. Mm-hmm. Pun intended. And um, we had, in our class, a number of, of girls who were extremely interested in fashion design and were really talented. But there was no outlet or opportunity for them to explore that within the school. So we came up with the idea of hosting a student design fashion showcase called Punch. Which stood for, I don't like acronyms, but here we go, people under new creative hunches. <laughs> and the logo was a fist punching through things, <laughs> um, like graffiti style. It was awesome. And the, the stuff that came out of it was incredible. One of the girls, Alexa Adams, is like extremely successful fashion designer now. And mm-hmm. her collection back then as a high school junior was insane. Her That's senior red. was insane. And, yeah, Shayla and I recently went back for our 20-year reunion, and they celebrated Punch because it's become a mainstay Stop. at the school. That's awesome. They've changed the logo, and uh. I don't think the acronym stands for that anymore. But um, it was really cool. They had, like, a new black box theater, and we got to kind of see it, and they kind of honored us. And That's rad. kind of awesome. You built a legacy. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. I guess so. It was fun. Although, like, side note, crazy story. So it was an all-girls school, and we had an all-boys school that was our brother's school. Were they, like, a mile down the road? Yeah, they were, like, a mile <laughs> down the road. And, um, you all meet halfway. Shayla and I did align ourselves as the creators, but we were like, we'll make ours co-ed. And mm-hmm. so we had a co-ed line, so we oh, invited nice. some boys from the school to model in it. Well... Behind the scenes, I'm a procrastinator, so I would leave everything to the last minute. My mom loves fuck. to remind me. Well, my last name's Cram, so I kind of live up to Cram the name. Cram it all in. Nice. Um, my mom loves to remind me of how I, like, it was like a few days before the show, was like, I don't have anything for these boys to wear. I was tasked with designing for the boys. So the simplest and easiest thing was to just, like, design <laughs> and sew pants. Because you had to design it and sew it yourself. Oh, wow. So half the boys in my show were topless. <laughs> and they just wore satin pajama pants. And it was a very big hit finale for the all-girls school. I'm and sure. I'm sure a lot of teachers and our advisor at the time was like, what is they were going not on? Stoked. I think the last boy like carried a rose in his mouth. Like, Stop. Very, silly, very salacious for high school girls at the time. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah. All right, so we're in the back half here. We've gone through four cereals. Are we ready for the fifth one? Yeah, I think I need something to cool, yeah, nothing my, can be... cool my mouth off. Milk usually helps a lot more with that spice level, so yeah. that's what is... Uh, I think this shows you. our milk preferences, too. Like, I like very little milk so that you just kind of get a touch of that softness exactly. yeah some people like to drown theirs and it's like overly milk and then other people what it's just a little touch why don't you just fucking call me out my name next time Peter <laughs> but, Jesus Christ. but some people <laughs> fill their bowl with milk first and then pull the that, I, that's and those people don't get invited sense, on yeah. the show so yeah. They might take issue with the fact that you've already poured the cereal. Then we'll politely ask them to leave. We almost lead the witness first by pouring the cereal yeah. in. So if somebody wants to dump it out and then put it back in. Is it like King of the Hill? I feel like I need a 
brush off my spoon yeah, from right. all that cinnamon. All right. All right. So this is the Duncan Caramel Macchiato naturally and artificially flavored Duncan coffee yeah. cereal, which apparently is made with actual Duncan coffee. Okay. So we're supposed to, let's see, get some coffee flavor. And... Are you a Starbucks or Duncan person? You know. Or a home brewer. I'm like a go local kind of yeah. gal. Nice. I'm like, damn the man. I don't want either. I want Any local, uh, local shop. shop that you want to give a shout out to? There's a new one that opened in Harrison called Laughing Horse Coffee. Mm. Two former music industry vets opened it, and it's really cute. But I would say Starbucks is the better coffee for me. Mm. Dunkin's just too watery, mm. I think. But I like donuts. Yeah. Mmm. You get the coffee. See a little swirl action in these, what are these, marshmallows? They try to put a little fun in there while you're eating your coffee. <laughs> wow. I think it's supposed to be like the whipped cream, though, right? The caramel. Yeah. I'm actually not mad at this. <laughs> I'm happier at it than the toast crunch spicy. I like coffee ice cream, and this kind of gives me those same, like, mm. vibes. So you have the solid amount of experience working in the cannabis industry, more than a lot of people do in the licensing industry. Uh, a lot of people want to get into it, but you've actually had your hand in there for a while from working on Wiz Khalifa's weed farm game. But you also had your own startup called Fruit and Flower. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Where did you even find that? We do our deep research where we can. I don't think that was <laughs> Because that never really, like, took off. That was like a brainchild. But go ahead. Let me hear what you found. So you also <laughs> so you also have this experience working on a video production company. So I wondered if you could give us a little background insight on what it was like filming a commercial at a Las Vegas Grow company a couple of years ago. Yeah, so that was for the Wiz We Farm game. That was so much fun and also insane. Um, we hired a crew that worked a lot with Vice. Um, mm. We flew down to Vegas. It was fast and furious on a budget because a lot of people at the label didn't think that this game was going to work because <laughs> artist games hadn't really performed in the past. But I was really bullish on this, and I was like, it's Wiz, it's Weed, it's mm -hmm. gaming. These are two things he's really passionate about. It's going to work because he's into it, and he was into it, and we shot at the growth arm that he worked with, which was insane because this was before, like, things got, like, super legal everywhere, and you could mm -hmm. just walk on Fifth Avenue into, like, a medicinal shop, and it was so fun. My favorite, like, this, I'm digressing, but my favorite, like, bits of, like, Sesame Street growing up is when they would go to, like, factories to, like, watch, like, how oh, crayon yeah. was made and stuff. <laughs> so this was like that, but weed. And so you walked in, they gave you a lab coat and, like, goggles, and you walked through the <laughs> grow hard. And, like, the weed plants, like, the marijuana plants were just gorgeous and glorious oh. and huge and, like, the lights. And, you know, we're shooting it, and there's, like, giant trash, clear trash bags full of bud that, like, Wiz is, like, transporting onto the carts and stuff, and we're getting close-ups. And I don't know if you watched the trailer, but we overlaid animation from the game into it. It was awesome. The trailer itself got like a shit ton of like million views or something That's like that. That's rad. But it was fun. But 
we did it on a budget, like I said, and kind of at the 11th hour. So it was a little manic, which is kind of counterintuitive when you're talking about weed. But it was it was great. And it came out awesome. And a buddy of mine owned a shop in Las Vegas. So we filmed a few shots there. And I remember calling him at the last minute and being like, dude, can we film in your shop like tomorrow with Wiz? Like, is it possible? Like, we just need like a couch set up. He needs to be able to blaze. Like, probably like, fuck you, yeah, I've kicked everyone out and already. He was like, yeah, he was like, totally fine. I feel like you throw the Wiz Khalifa name out there, and probably everybody in the area would be like, yeah, me Not too. A problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was really, it was really cool. Where did the idea for the game come from? Was that something that a management person came up with? Was he like, hey, I want to get into games? So he had a really great guy on his management team who's really into digital, which I think is like my advice to any artist that wants to like broaden their scope beyond music is surround yourself with people that know the business and shout out to Tim. Like he knew um, the digital world. He knew that's where things were going next. Cause again, the development of the game and everything comes as you know, in consumer products, like you're, you're planning out years in advance. Yeah. And so he was like, I want to get Wiz into this space. Wiz wanted to get into this space we as kind of the IP like managers for him wanted to get him into this space. Um, there were a couple of iterations of what the game story could be. Part of the timeline that we were up against and the partner we were working with presented an opportunity for us to kind of in tandem work on something that they were already kind of thinking about, mm-hmm. but take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've played the game or seen the game at the time, it was like super addictive um, because it was just like something you could pass your time doing where you just like growing like a farm game. I was going to say, in 12 hours, my Acapulco Gold's going to be ready. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, I got to water it. I got to give them some light. I feel like this came off the bootstraps of, of Facebook's Farmville. Yeah, everybody very had, similar. Their, had that like craze. And so we had the understanding you know of what a farm before game that? is. Fucking Adult Swim back in like. I think it was 2006 or 2007, Adult Swim had a game featured up on their website that was literally Can a Farmer. Oh. Like, you would just sit there, you'd pick out the seeds, but your little character was just like a weed leaf. So he'd be, like, all smiling with his little gloves on, like Mickey Mouse, but a pot plant. That's fun. Uh, yeah. No, I remember that's when I saw the Wiz Khalifa game, I was like, oh, I've played this, like, an iteration of this before. Yeah. I know. This Nothing's is ever really new, is no, it? No, it's not. <laughs> I watch Shark Tank done. and I yell at the TV. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> yeah. This, like... <laughs> What? It's called the bidet. You can buy them already. Like, I'm like a crochet kit. Yeah. Like you just repackage, pay by numbers. Come on, and they get like millions of dollars of funding, and they're yeah. making a ton of money. And I'm yeah. like, what am I doing wrong? Oh, uh, dude, all the time I think that. Yeah. All right, so we're making it all the way here to the end, and new onto the show as well is the post sour patch kits. How do you do with sour candies? Is that something that you like? My husband's like? a big Sour Patch fan. I'm not as much. So this should be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but it's colorful. You can vaguely see the character shapes. So this is like a total invention, not a reinvention. Not going to lie, I'm pretty scared cereal. for this one. I'm as nervous for this one as I was for that one. For that, yeah, I, I could agree with you. All right. I mean, it just looks like they just dehydrated. Oh, it smells sour. It looks like they just dehydrated the Sour Patch Kids. They're like, yep, here, yeah. here's the cereal. I can hear them <laughs> screaming in the dehydrator now. <laughs> All my fluids are being drained. 
I used to put all my gummy bears into the microwave and melt them. Did you really? Yeah, no, I accidentally once. You remember the um, they had the lifesaver like gummies. Mm-hmm. I left those in my dad's fucking glove box one time, and we we're down in Florida too. So we came back, and the entire glove box of this rental car was just all gummy, melting, yeah, melted gummies. The package is open too, and like upside down. So that's the worst. Yeah, he wasn't so stoked. Like it's not really soury. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has like a more lemon flavor. Mm-hmm. I would say. So I'm kind of not mad at it because it kind of tastes like lemon I'm trying sorbet. To put my thing. It's like the consistency, maybe of like tricks. I feel like. Maybe. Oh yeah, I could get that. That's right. That's I'm trying to put my finger on it. One. So, Alex, you have this really strong connection in your life with the boxing world. Your dad, Mark Cram, is considered as one of the best sports writers in the boxing world. Your brother also just recently released his own book on Joe Frazier called Smokin' Joe. And you you also have some experience in, in having boxing in your life, but also training with boxer Bryn Jonathan Butler. Also an author. So I'm curious what your biggest life lesson you've learned from boxing that you could share with other people that they can apply to their everyday life. Mm. That's a tough and a good one. You keep throwing me through these loops of like discovering things that I don't always put out there. Duck and weave is also yeah. an acceptable answer. Duck and weave, that's a great answer. Duck and weave your way through life, man. You know what I would say is like, so I grew up watching boxing, which at the time, like boxing's big again now, but Mm -hmm. it went through a time post like, I don't know, Tyson era where it kind of was like a heavyweight. One of my favorites. Yeah, it was was iconic Mm -hmm. at the time. Um, Did you see that fight live? Which one? um, My dad was there. Really? So my dad was going to write a, a book on Tyson, was at that fight. That was the last fight he went to, and then he passed away before he could write the book. But um, for him, having been ringside at some of the most epic fights of all time, to witness that, he was like, what has happened yeah, to this sport? I'm sure he got bummed out. Um, but I would say that, you know, as a young girl watching boxing and me trying to explain to people, like, that was my favorite sport to watch. Like, I wasn't into other sports. People would be like, oh, but they're just hitting each other. And I think for me, it's it comes down to skill. So even though it looks like two people slugging it out, like punching each other, it's all about footwork and skill and artistry. And that's so really slickness. what my dad leaned on and pulled from when he would write about it, mm-hmm. um, which is why he got heralded as, like, one of the best boxing writers, um, especially for his coverage on Thrilla and Manila. <coughs> it's because there's artistry to it. There's skill to it. And he pulled that out of the form. And I think that's important that, like, anything you do in business and personal life, it can look easy. It can look simple. But the complexity that kind of brings you to that point of making it look effortless, Mm -hmm. there's a journey there. And I think don't discount that both as the spectator and as the person in the ring, per se. Mm -hmm. So there's skill and knowledge that you got to put work into. That's awesome. It's all about the slickness. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite boxer to watch? So I watch a lot of boxing now. My husband's really into boxing, too, which is fun. Do you watch boxing? Apart from Tyson, I'd have to say my favorite one to watch is Roy Jones Jr. To me, no one's slicker than Roy Jones Jr. He just fought, like, recently. He did. Not too recently, but recently I just, enough. Yeah, oh my God. I just remember watching, like, his videos and stuff growing up where he'd be, like, literally hands behind his back, face, like, pushed out front. He's, like, taunting the person. Yeah. Dips back. 
boom, just fucking one-hit knockouts with that guy. Well, it's all about personality in boxing, too, yeah. right? Because they are kind of like actors on a stage. Yeah. Or Roy Jones Jr., he started a rap career, too, at some point during his uh, his career, and I loved it. Yeah. Mr. Unstoppable, I think, was his hit. I mean, Manny Pacquiao <laughs> also, like... Had a singing career. Sometimes when we touch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm half Filipino, so Manny Pacquiao was like, oh my God, we have like a Filipino boxer who's like making headlines and insane. In politics. Now he's, yeah, politician, singer, all the good things. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I would say I loved watching Manny Pacquiao because of that, Mm -hmm. because there was cultural pride attached to it. But right now, I think the heavyweight division is really interesting and... Tyson Fury is really fun okay. to watch. I don't know if you've seen him, but he talk about character. Like yeah. he goes by the Gypsy King, and he's hilarious. Uh-huh. He is also huge, yeah. and just such a presence in the ring. And his kind of bouts with Deontay Wilder, who's also a character, like the imagery that he would come out into the ring with, like the pomp and circumstance. Like they were just kind of battling outside the ring as well. I love that so. Yeah, I think the heavyweight division is fun, too. I was at the fight with Andy Ruiz and Anthony Joshua at the Garden. Again, I might be getting too nerdy on boxing. Um, But that was a huge upset. Like, Andy Ruiz won, and kind of, like, everyone in the crowd went insane because Anthony Joshua was, like, the golden child, like, brand boy, like, handsome, good-looking, like, had every brand endorsement possible, had the British accent, like, all the stuff. And Andy Ruiz was, like, heavier... Like, whatever, and he shorter and just came in and sweeped it. So, Alex, you've made it through our gauntlet, cereal gauntlet, from Wendy's Frosty all the way to the Sour Patch Kids. You seem to do great through every single one, even the curveball that we threw at you with the Cinefuego Toast Crunch. So there's really nothing left to do but to give you 30 seconds to a minute to let the people know what's going on in your life. Um, I am a mom of two now, which I'm really excited about, but it's never been realer, the conversation around balance. And I've said it before that for me, balance is not a destination, but an active verb. And I feel that more than ever. Um, you know, people say you can have it all. I think something's always going to give. And that's kind of what's going on in my life right now is figuring out this new world with two little ones and my career, which I'm very passionate about. I'm at Netflix, as you said. We're doing some really exciting things. I love my team there. They're breaking boundaries in terms of new retail channels. And as a streamer, the consumer products business is such in its infancy compared to the major studios. So seeing what we've already accomplished and kind of what's yet to come, is really exciting. All right, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. You've been an excellent guest, and this has been amazing. Great job making it through our gauntlet. Thank you. This was fun.